please be advised that some of the audio that you will hear during this series may be uncomfortable and triggering. Gloria and her eight-year-old daughter Whitney say they escaped a so-called cult which they say treated children poorly. They treated kids bad. They screamed at some kids. They spanked them. People would scream at nighttime having bad nightmares. People would try to get out but they couldn't. You mean kids would try to get away? Mm -hmm. Whitney got away after her mother left the group after 15 years. Gloria is a recovering alcoholic, married four times, mother of three, currently in a custody battle over one of her other children with an ex-husband, a man she claims is still a cult member. Gloria says she fears for the lives of her children, especially after she and the kids got a visit one day from a cult member. He, he, he got a steak knife. He held my hair against the sink. He stabbed me in the neck with a steak knife. What he told me was that I was the devil and that to save the world, he was supposed to kill Whitney. Gloria says her daughter wasn't seriously hurt and her attacker was arrested. Stories like Gloria should be carefully examined. Something happens when you listen to someone else talk about their trauma. It begins to take hold inside of you and create a deeper consciousness of the situation. Maybe that's why so many of us are drawn to the chaos and disbelief of cults and other insidious groups of mind and body control. We seek to understand the mayhem and make sense of the atrocities that are committed. How could someone or some group of people treat others this way? Sometimes the answer is just chilling, like in the case of the nurse who is believed to have killed 400 patients in hospitals in the 90s and the early 2000s. His answer when asked why he did it, because no one stopped me. Life can be cruel, and cults often represent the peak of that cruelty in our world. tell you who I am as to whether or not you believe who I am or not is up to you. When you call Jesus, really you have called me. I'm a convict. I'm an outlaw. I'm a rebel. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. In the shadows of cult leaders, it's not uncommon to find children. Dozens have been housed at the Koresh compound in Texas. The cults generally want the members to be working a lot. They want them to be slaving away and, and doing all kinds of things. So, so kids get in the way. So cults will tend to shove kids in the background. They're, they're an inconvenience. Chapter three, Serena's childhood. I was born in David Berg's house, in the cult leader's house. Um, my birth was the fourth in a line of succession or um, golden children, as you were, um, in, in uh, Berg's house. The first two children were Davidito, his adopted son, and Tachi, his adopted daughter, both biological children of Karen Zerbe. The third one was Davida Kelly, my older sister, and then there was me. Um, Davida Kelly was not conceived in Berg's home. She, my mother was pregnant with her and she was born right before she went to 
Berg's household to take care of Berg's children. My mother was sent there at, to be a nanny for Berg's children. And during that time, I was conceived. So right away from before I was born, my entire life was kind of, not kind of, it was exactly planned and documented in cult publications. So there were multiple publications of how to baby proof a house and how to raise a child, how a pregnant woman should eat. Very um, harmless things, but written out um, and documented about my life and my mother's pregnancy with me. My entire birth was also documented in a publication called Lifelines about how I was born. And the second I was born, I was given a cult publication name, a pseudonym named Mary Dear. And my entire childhood in Berg's household was documented in a series called Life with Grandpa. And it talked about David, Techi, Davida, and me, um, Mary Dear. Uh, it was Berg's, Berg's name for me. And he also named me Serena. Um, and then it was all about my life and the adventures of my life. And we were very secluded, us four in Berg's household. We had no contact with other cult members because Berg was constantly in hiding because authorities were always after him. People were always trying to catch him. There were always, always raids. So we moved around under cover of darkness. We never used our legal names. Um, so the rest of the cult of the family of the children of God knew me as Mary Dear. And, but I had no contact with the outside world. It was just the people that I was living with in Berg's compound, which was probably about 50 people um, at the most at any time. And then when I was five, I left Berg's house with my parents and we moved to Japan. And so I came from a tiny house, not knowing anyone for the first five years of my life, except the same 30 to 50 people to going into the largest or second largest compound in the Family International, which was um, in Japan, in Tokyo. And it was a compound with 300 members. And that's where they made all the videos um, for the cult publications and the videos and the things that they would use to brainwash us. Um, and so we went in there and I was taught to lie about who I was. They said, you're not married here, you're Serena. Um, my mother changed her name from Sarah to Ruth. So she was named Ruth in Japan. And, and we were just some family that came from the Philippines. So very early on, I was, I was in, it was instilled in me, like, you, first of all, it's not safe who you are. And you can't tell anyone who you are. And also, if you do, you will be punished. Um, so it was very, I was kept very much under control and very separated from the rest of the group for a while. And by the group, I mean, you know, the 10, the 10 to 20 other children that were my age as each children were separated. As soon as they were about two or three, they were brought to different rooms and we slept with other kids our age and we had classes and we, we saw our parents on the weekend. Um, we didn't see our parents for the rest of the week, but that whole time I was, I was lying about who I was um, and we were just a, a, a normal family um, in the cult. Uh, two years later, when I was almost seven, um, I moved to Brazil with my mom and the rest of my family. And in Brazil, it was the same thing. My mom again changed her name to Sharon. I was still Serena, but the Mary Dear name was hidden. I was not allowed to talk about who I was. So. We again went to a very large compound in Rio, in Brazil, 
And because since these publications were circulated about my life and my my sister's lives and David and Touchy, they would read them in class and people would ask questions. The kids would say, um, ask the adults who were, we had to refer to them as uncles and aunties. So we would, they were, there was a child one day that said, Uncle James, how old is Mary Dear now? And he calculated, well, she was born in 1983. So she would be, oh, she would be six years old, your age, Serena. And I had to sit there and be like, oh, wow. And everyone's like, wow, Mary Dear's your age. And I, and I sat there as a six-year-old and I was like, wow, that's amazing. Mary Dear's my age. Like, you know, the amount of, and it came naturally to me by that time because I had already been doing it for two years. I, I, and, and I just sat there and lied about who I was, you know, as, as a six-year-old child. And it just went on from there. As I grew up in Brazil, um, I started to get very restless. I was always kept in more secluded homes and wasn't allowed to socialize with a lot of children because of who I was and who my family was. Um, and people would ask questions, where did you grow up? Who were your parents? Where are you from? Um, and they didn't want me to spill any secrets of who I really was. Um, but as a teenager, um, that's when you start becoming extremely valuable to the cult because you've been taking care of children since you were 10. Now I speak Portuguese, so I know the language. So that means I can go out and I can beg on the streets for money. So luckily for me, that was my kind of way of escape was to go out on the streets, beg for money. I could socialize with other people. And then when they realized I was cute and I was blonde and I was tall in Brazil, um, they were, they sent me out on the streets even more. And then I was able to go to other compounds in Sao Paulo, um, a city next to Rio, where I could socialize with other children, my age, and even then still lying the entire time about who I was. But to me, it was finally my way of being able to, I, I, I knew that I was not normal. I was very shy and very introverted as a child. And I didn't want to be that way because I was so scared of everything. I was so scared of talking about who I was and talking about my life. So in Sao Paulo, I was kind of able to come out of my shell a little bit and um, interact with other people. And even though, yes, I was begging on the streets every day and singing on sidewalks for restaurants for money, but that was, I was out of the house. I was always locked up in the house. I, I never saw any other children. I could never speak to anyone that was not in the house that I was living in. So being able to be in Sao Paulo gave me that um, ability to interact with other teenagers from the cult. Um, that lasted a few years. And then again, we left Brazil and went to Mexico. So I was 15 at that time. I was brought into another very secret home called WS World Services, um, which were the top four secret compounds, basically just like a home I had been born into, just like Berg's, Berg's compound. There were a few other secret homes that would write and publish all of the cult publications and then send them out to the rest of the cult. So yet again, I was, I was locked up the only person my age in a home of probably 40 to 50 people in Mexico, no, no contact with other people my age at all. And I was extremely upset and angry and depressed, but I had to wait until I was able to do anything um, with my mom giving me permission. And as soon as I turned 16, I demanded that I go live in Dallas with my dad who 
had also been kicked out of WS. So we kind of got um, kicked out of this <laughs> dishonorably discharged from the in the family. And, and I ended up in Dallas with him and was pretty much doing the same thing, but that again, begging on the streets for money, um, acting out a lot, sneaking out of the house, um, taking drugs, hanging out with kids, like trying to get some sort of freedom in my life. Um, I was kicked out of that home as well. And then I was sent to Houston, where shortly after that, I got an opportunity to, to go to Guatemala. So I went to Guatemala just as soon as I left WS, I was kind of on my own floating around, but I still wasn't 18. So I wasn't allowed to actually do anything that I wanted to do and um, went down to Guatemala, which is where I met Olivia when I was 17. And I was living in a house down there. There were two or three houses in Guatemala. I stayed there. I pretty much bided my time until I couldn't take it anymore. And I was so um, unhappy. I went back to the U.S. and I decided to partially leave the cult in a, and I lived in a campground with some other members who were allowed to leave, but couldn't quite yet leave because there were a bunch of children under 18, such as myself. And then I just kind of sat around doing nothing. So I went back to Texas finally and got my GED and got my driver's license because I was about to be 18. The second I turned 18, I left and moved in with a friend in Houston who had already left as well and was staying with her boyfriend. And from there, I just started trying to do whatever I could to make money. And that's kind of uh, how I got to being born as a, a child celebrity in the cult to kind of just floating around, not really doing anything. Um, with my life in the beginning. And uh, that just started a whole other series of how I, how I left the cult and my experiences there, which were of course very traumatic and different. But as far as me growing up in the cult and who I was and my experiences, that was the pretty much the, the basic uh, rundown of my life. Our ideas about sex growing up are often poorly taught and discussed if they are even mentioned at all. All of us are behind the eight ball, if you will, when it comes to this. But imagine, imagine if how you were taught about sex was through the lens of a maniac leader who used the benevolence of Jesus as a cover for spreading illegal and horrific ideas about sex. Yeah, sexuality was a huge thing in the cult. Um, that was basically something that we were taught from a very, very early age, especially as a female in the cult. As females in the cult, our job was to love Jesus, to love the other men in the cult, to have babies, and to make money and bring in money. And to clean and cook, like, that was it. That's it. And so women were often passed around as men and for me personally growing up i saw this my mother was actually one of the top ffers um, at flirty fishing uh women and she would actually ended up being so good in Burke's house that she became a madam as of sorts and started taking out bringing other women out with her to these bars and to these um, restaurants and sending them out to go flirty fish and they would go and give my mom the money so she started she started in that way and then 
in the house itself, I, I witnessed her having sex with all, all the men, all the men in the home. I saw it myself because it would happen in the same room that I was sleeping in, or it would be happening in Orgies in Berg's house. So especially in Berg's house, I would say from zero to four years old, I was exposed to sex all the time on a daily basis. Berg had a lot of drunken orgies. He had a lot of women doing um, strip teases in his home and he filmed a lot of sexual videos. It was called Glorify God in the Dance where he would have the women perform strip teases for him. And I was allowed to watch these videos because I was told I'm going to do this one day and this is going to be great. Now, did I realize that one day meant, you know, next year when I was three? No, I didn't realize that, but it did happen. Um, so early on in Berg's house, I was taken down to a basement and um, as a three-year-old child where there were some other children, including my older sister, um, in front of cameras with very bright lights. Now I'm three and I'm in a dark basement and I'm stripped of my clothes and put a, a lay around my bare chest and a hula skirt on at three and was put in a basement and all I see are the bright lights and I turn on this Hawaiian music and they say, now you need to dance and start dancing. And I look around and I see my older sister and other kids doing a dance and they were telling us to strip and to slowly take off our clothes and um, I just froze. I, I, was, I was stunned and I just went into complete catatonic mode. I could, not, I could not speak, I could not move. And they actually got mad at me after trying to encourage me to do this dance multiple times. Um, they got mad because they said I was ruining the video. So I got taken out and I got beaten and then thrown into a room by myself um, without dinner or anything for the rest of the night because I was being bad and I was out of God's will. And to me, that punishment was so worth it to get out of that video, which I, and I suddenly understood that if I cry and I make myself ugly, they won't like me and I won't be desirable to, to for these, which as we know is child pornography videos. So um, I was, there were multiple other times where I was forced to get up and do stripped teases in front of adults in the home in Berg's household. Uh, a lot of drinking, a lot of drunk men. My sister was uh, 10 and 12. Um, you know, these were not, these were very, very small underage children that Berg had uh, us stripping and parading around the house. And we were told to sit on uncle's laps um, who would grope us and sexually molest us. Um, so those first four years were, were probably the most traumatizing of my life, not to mention also when I turned three, which apparently was Berg's age for free-for-all sex with children, um, I was married to Berg and given a ring. I was brought to him in his house. He had a separate house on the property where I grew up. And basically he, I was put on his lap and he presented me a ring. It was a heart-shaped ring and I was three, it was too big for my finger. So he wrapped tape around it. And he said, as I grow up, I can take the tape off, but the ring will still fit me as an adult. And I can keep it with me forever because I'll be his forever, um, which is sick. The fact that he put that much thought into how he can own this child for the rest of his life, how he can 
manipulate this child and, and keep it as his little trophy, his present. So I still have the ring and he's right. It did fit me. It still fits on my pinky f finger. Obviously I, I'd never wear it ever, but I keep it as a remembrance. And I've always kept it because I knew I was going to tell my story and I knew there were going to be a lot of doubters, but I was not the only person that was given this ring. My older sister was and multiple other young girls um, in the household. I just happened to be the youngest of who were, who had this, uh, wedding marriage ceremony to Berg. So um, immediately from being a very young child, I was extremely traumatized and abused um, and with sex and my experience with sex. I actually hid because of those experiences and making the videos and realizing that I could get out of things by crying and being unhappy and looking ugly is kind of how I turned into a tomboy growing up in my teenage years so I wore very baggy clothes I cut my hair we weren't allowed to cut our hair so I cut it as short as I could without getting into too much trouble um, and that actually helped me from a lot of abuse later on growing up but obviously it didn't it didn't save me from anything I was uh, sexually molested and assaulted by teenage boys all up from when I was 10 to when I was until I, until I left um, Brazil, which was 15, so 10 to 15. You know, the trauma and the sexual abuse went down into the generations as these teenage boys who were 18, 19, 20 were doing the same things that were done that were done to them. So they were just repeating these behaviors and these patterns um of sexual abuse except to the, me who was much younger and that entire time i i i kind of retracted deeper and deeper into my shell and tried to avoid at all costs i i, I i'm very tall i'm 510 i walked with a with a slump and i i always looked down i never made eye contact just different things anything that i could do to make myself look unattractive to the men in the cult um was what I, was what i could do to, that just meant less abuse and, and less um sexual predator attention in our next episode stay tuned for heather's story <laughs>